here in the next few minutes, you're right. We're all holy. Y'all are all holy, and I made myself the big cheese. But if the earth does something it's never done, and it opens its mouth and swallows you up, and you disappear off the face of the earth, then that means God really did pick me, and these, really, these people really aren't that holy, and you're wrong. You're rebellious. And it wasn't probably 30 seconds later the earth opened up its mouth, the Bible says, and just... And all those women and children and Cor and his buddies, there was three other ministers, uh, priests that went down into the, the pit with them. Uh, here's the results. Number 16, 32 says, And the earth opened her mouth, swallowed them up, and their houses, and all the men that appertained unto Korah, and all their goods, they and all that appertained to them, went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. If Korah and his cohorts had known the consequences of this rebellion, Eric, you think they would have done what they did? No. I don't think so. I don't think so. So we need to equip ourselves and pray that we don't rebel because you can be a good person and, and rebel, right? Because rebellion is where? It's in all of us. Because we're born in sin. We're born with that rebellious. And so that's why Paul said, oh, uh, oh, wretched man that I am, Romans 7. He, he, what he's saying is, I got some rebellion in me. I got the Holy Ghost. And guess what? I got some flesh. I got rebellion. And we had Moses who messed up and rebelled. God said, speak to the rock. Moses goes out and slaps it real hard with his stick. Now, his punishment wasn't quite as severe, it doesn't seem like. You know, he probably was kind of glad to get away from those people. Uh, Forty years with them, probably. You know, you ever read the book, uh, Moses Was a Basket Case? Uh, he was 120 years old. Uh, God said, you're not going to get to go into the promised land. And so he looks from Mount, I believe it was Mount Nebo, and he sees the beautiful land, but he doesn't get to cross over the Jordan River or go into the promised land. Why? Because of his disobedience, his rebellion uh, to God. Then we have King David. Wow, wow, wow. Um, David messed up. Everybody knows about David's most serious mistake when he, um, he, he has an affair adulterous affair with a very loyal servant and uh, armed force lieutenant or general of his, and, and, and then he ends up trying to cover it up and having Uriah killed, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. So all that takes place. And so um, y'all know David was such a, a fine young man, y'all. You know, he killed Goliath. He, he wrote all those at least 85 chapters in the, in the book of Psalms. There's 150. Around 85 of them, we're pretty sure, are authored by David. Uh, David was a man after God's own heart. Well, anyway, he, he, he messed up. So don't let your guard down. Uh, and God sent him a minister. Samuel had passed on, and now we've got a different minister. His name is Nathan. Nathan comes to him and tells him this parable. He tells him a story of a little man and a little sheep and the, and the rich man, and the, you know the story. And so David, maybe, you ever see fault in people when you can't see it in yourself? It's just me. It's just me, uh, Brother Paul. Do you ever, 
is, is it easier to see Sister Ellen's mistakes and errors and rebellion than it is your own? Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 5, and David's anger was kindled against the man, the man in the parable. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. There's just one problem, David, you the man. He could see it when it was the little parable. He could see it in that man, but he, until he found out that that man was him, now he's got a little different perspective. And two verses later in 12 and 7, Nathan said unto David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And this is what you've done. The results? Y'all want to hear the results? You think it's good? You think David got blessed because of this action? Or, or was there? We know the baby died, right? This is... Besides that, let's see, let's see what it says. Second Samuel 12, 10 says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife, has thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of mine, thine own house, and I will make thy wives uh, before thine eyes, uh, I will make thy wives before thine eyes to give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun, S-U-N. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun, S-U-N. You think David would have committed that rebellion if he had known? You think he would have committed adultery? You think he would have murdered Uriah had he known that for generation and generation and generation the sword would not depart from his family? I don't think so. And then there's the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom, uh, you remember when they split, there was 10, ten tribes in the north and two in the south. That was, uh, they, they sent, God sent Elijah and Elisha and many other prophets to them, and they had turned, they, remember they had like 19 kings, and they, the Bible kept saying they kept getting worse and worse, and they ended up offering their babies to, to, on the fire of Molech, you know, as a sacrifice to, to these statues and stuff, and, and just rebellion against their God. And um, God kept warning them, he kept warning them. And then, you know what the result was? 733 B.C., the Assyrians, a nation that, that Israel hated, came in and wiped them out and took them all into captivity, all the ten tribes. And then in the southern kingdom, God sent them prophets. He sent them Jeremiah, and he sent them Habakkuk, and he's, he sent these prophets to the, to the, to the uh, southern kingdom and warned them because they were doing the same thing, idolatry, worshiping idols. I want to have, man just wants to rebel, and man just wants to see what, he, what he's bowing down to. He wants to, he want, if it's money or if it's sport, man wants to be able to see his God. And so in 586 B.C., what was the result? Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar came in, and he totally wiped out the southern kingdom, and he took the, the a remnant into captivity. And Jeremiah wrote it this way. Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 17. Israel is, is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. The first king of Assyria hath devoured him, and the last. And last, this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had broken his bones. So he, 
Jeremiah mentions both the captivities, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And so we'll move from there into the second part of our lesson, which is the modern-day uh, U.S. government and the leadership that we have. I, wanna, I want this to, to, Jake, I want you to get this in your brain. Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. Those are diametrically opposed. Righteousness, rebellion. Righteousness, rebellion. Righteousness will lift you up as a people, as a nation. Rebellion is a reproach upon you. Okay? Where are we at? We're on slide five. Here's what happened. Most of you, some of you are old enough to remember this. We've got a mixed crowd here tonight. In 1962, prayer was taken out of public school. Now, that will shock some of you younger folks that wouldn't even think prayer would have ever been in school, public school, would you? Well, it was. It was for 200 years. Okay? But in the case of Engel versus Vital, 370 U.S. 421, 1962, the Supreme Court ruled that school-sponsored prayer in public schools violated the established establishment establishment clause of the First Amendment. And so with no precedent, which is what the Supreme Court and any judge is supposed to go by, with no precedent in the United States of America, they make a, a, a decree, God, we're kicking your prayer to you out of our public school system. Now, if you're going to change a nation, you don't start with 80-year-old people. I got three agree... <laughs> It, it, you, can't, you can't turn a ship around in five seconds, right? It's a big ship. and if, you, if you're the enemy and you want to take a nation down, you start with the kindergartners, okay? And, and over time, we get where we're at today. In 1963, just a few months later, Bible reading was eliminated from public school. Now, we know Deuteronomy 6 and 4, right? God had told I want you to learn the word, teaching your children when they wake up in the morning, when they come in for lunch, and put it on the doorpost, right on the frontlets of their heart, of their head. You know, put it at night when they come in. God wants the word in to his children, and the United States Supreme Court decided that wasn't good, that we're going to rebel against God Almighty. And in Shemp, which is the name of the, uh, the case, 1963, uh, in which the Supreme Court extended the ban on prayer, in public school and established in, that was established in the case we just talked about, 1962, and they extended it to no Bible reading or no reciting the Lord's Prayer. That went out in 63. So now we've got two cases with no precedent, no prior cases or precedent where man has said, uh, I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to follow the authority of God. I'm going to, we're going to figure this thing out. We're going to do what man says do and just Ten years later, we had Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade is when you murder children that are unborn. I'm sure y'all knew that. And then a few years later, we began to take all biblical signs, Ten Commandments and everything, out of our public and government buildings. The most notably, the Supreme Court issued two rulings on the same day in 2005. And what they did was they ordered the removal of framed displays of the Ten Commandments in Kentucky courthouses. But they allowed for the Ten Commandments to stay out in the yard in a uh, in a Texas in the Texas State Capitol building, and that was by a vote of five to four that the Ten Commandments could stay out in the yard. 
Now, George Washington was, you can, some could say he was great, and some could say, I don't care. You know, but he was our first president. He had a lot of wisdom. You know what he, you know what he warned? If we ever take religion out of society, morality will soon depart. Did y'all hear that? That was your first president. There's, uh, is Biden 46? Yeah, that was 45 presidents ago. President number one, when there was no, it was all being kind of put together. He said, if you ever take religion out of society, morality will soon depart. What are the results of this rebellion? I consider everything I just read to you, all these court cases, I consider all that rebellion against God Almighty. You can agree or disagree, but that, remember, righteous, remember, Jake, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Uh, here we go, slide six. You want to see some results? This is not to depress you. I know we're not going to run laps here uh, and shout and, and do a jig, but you need to know this stuff. This is important. The birth rate of unwed girls was stable until 1963. Since then, this birth rate has increased each year. The birth rate for girls between 10 and 14, that's a typo on your PowerPoint. That shouldn't say 24, it should say 14. Between girls 10 years old and 14 years old has increased by a percentage of 550% since 1963. You see underneath that, uh, single parents in the United States uh, if you look at that real close, uh, it starts in 1950. Can y'all see that? Starts in 1950, and you see it's when you get to 63, it's it, there's a, a slight, slight increase between 50 and 63. But look what happens after 1963. Single parents in the United States now there's 11 million, 12 million single parents. Now, now you don't need to know much Bible to know that. Uh, uh, a fatherless home or a motherless home is not God's will, right? Slide seven. <clears throat> the divorce rate began to climb drastically in 1963. Now the United States has the highest divorce rate in the world. Righteousness exalts a nation. Rebellion puts it in a deplorable state. It's like we say, God, we don't want you. Would you stay if you were him? SAT scores had been uh, steady for many years, but beginning in 1963, they dropped for 18 straight years. Y'all know what an SAT score is? It's kind of like the ACT, isn't it, Philip? <laughs> crime statistics show staggering increases in the U.S. crime rate beginning in 1963. In 1960, there were 3.3 million crimes a year. In 1991, there was 15 million crimes a year. Drugs by, uh, uh, death by drug overdose, 1968. I could, find a, I could find a number for 1968. I couldn't get back to 63. 5,033 deaths by drug overdose in 1968. 2021, there was 106,699. Is that on your screen? Yeah. So it's gone up from 5,000 to 107,000. Righteousness exalts a nation. Rebellion, uh, God say, okay, you know, that's what you want to do. Prison population. Mine's so small I can't see it, but I guess you can tell there it's gone up a little bit. huh? There's uh, 
a million. Can you read that, Eric? How many we got? A million four? A million eight? A million five in prison now, where back in 1963 it was below 100,000, it looks like. Well, you know what it cost in, in America to house a prisoner for one year? Anybody want to take a guess? 35? Do I hear 40? 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40. 50, 50, there's a winner. It's $46,000 a year. Where's that money come from? Because righteousness exalts a nation. Rebellion is going to cause your taxpayers to pay for, for the sins of the people. Homelessness. Homelessness. Uh, 1963 was almost unheard of. But today, an estimated 1.2 million people are homeless in the United States. One point two. I remind you what the scripture says. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. That's what God said. Proverbs 129. You might want to make a note of that scripture and apply it in your life. Am I leaving God out of this decision? Am I, am I the chairman of the board or is he? Am I the CEO in this operation, or is he? Am I going to obey or rebel in my life? Because there are going to be consequences to, to pay. It's like that old New Testament scripture says, you reap what you sow. So we have to reap. Uh, I heard a guy say one time, you can't sow uh, riot and, and drunkenness and pray for, for a bad harvest. It ain't going to work. No more than you can plant tomatoes and expect corn to come up. Come on, wake up. We can't. <laughs> you got to sow what you want to reap. All right, so what about today? I'm going to get on the preachers now. I got on the, uh, the Supreme Court, and I got on the government, and I, I've been on the David, and I've been, I've been on everybody tonight, Sister Ellen. I mean, everybody. Now I'm going to get on the preachers. I believe that our nation has rebelled against God, namely because the ministers are not doing their job. Uh, I, didn't, I got a few old me. Uh, I believe that, and here's why I believe it. Acts chapter 4, verse 19, Peter and John answered. They were, they had Peter had prayed, and God had healed a man, and they were in trouble for it. And there was all this commotion that happened, and that's where Peter says in Acts 4, 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's another name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And, and, and so that's all going on right at that time. And so they... In that seven verses later in 419, but Peter and John answered, said to them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you, because he was standing in front of the, the priests that were telling him to quit using the name of Jesus, whether it be to hearken unto you more than God judge ye, but we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. So Peter and John told it like it was, says, he put it back on the Pharisees. He said, hey, what do you think? You think I should obey you or God? And just a chapter later, they're still going through this saga, uh, uh, and they're still getting beaten. And the Bible says, I believe in the last verse of chapter 5, that they went away rejoicing that they had been beaten for the name of Jesus Christ. But in 529 of Acts, Peter and the apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. That's the problem. Ministers are not speaking the word of the Lord. Ministers are not preaching the word of God. They're 
they're trying to please the people. I didn't mention it when King Saul was disobedient and Samuel went to him, but if you go back there and study that, you find out that the people wanted despair. The people, and, and even when he gets in trouble Saul, and Saul sees it, that he's going down, uh, let's don't do this in front of all the people. Let's kind of take this back. It was the people, and that's what's driving the pulpit. The people can't drive the pulpit. God's got to drive the pulpit. So I don't know if we're on slide nine, but that's my last slide. So we're coming in, we're coming in for a landing here. So what are the preachers doing wrong? They're preaching prosperity. They get on the TV and tell you just send them hundred dollars and, and and they'll call your name in prayer and you'll win the lottery. That's not biblical. It's not. Now God will bless you, but but Jesus told them not one hair of your head's gonna be harmed, and they all died. Now, y'all figure that out because his blessings are not carnal. His blessings are not fleshly. His blessings are spiritual. You know, he told them they were sitting around. He didn't want anything to eat after he met with the woman at the well. They had all gone, took, took 12 of them to go get lunch. He came back and said, well, somebody give you something to eat? He said, no, I got meat to eat you don't know anything about because he was a spiritual man. And, and so, anyway, you won't find God's promises that you're going to have a lot of money in your savings account if you get the Holy Ghost. It's not in the Scripture. And these guys got to quit preaching that stuff, and they need to shut their mouth. Number two, they're not preaching the need for repentance. Oh, my Lord. It's cover to cover, folks. It, it would be real hard to, to say you read the Bible and don't see anything in there about the essentiality of repentance. John the Baptist, it was his entire ministry. Jesus, the first words that came out of his mouth was repent. He says later in, in Luke 13, 3, he says, you're going to all perish if you don't repent. You're going to likewise perish except you repent. He says it again in, in, in 13 and 5 of Luke. And then, and then, of course, Peter stands up, says, repent. When they said, what do we need to do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Then Paul says, God winked at these Old Testament sins, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, Acts 17, 30. So uh, Peter says, God's not slack concerning his promises to, as we're slack, but, uh, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. We have to repent. He, he wants us to uh, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. And we have preachers that are standing behind the pulpit, and repentance is not an attractive message. And that's why our nation is going south. Preaching eternal security, Betty. Preaching it. Y'all know what eternal security is. That's one saved always. Say, say now you got a will. And you get the Holy Ghost. Now you don't have a will anymore. You can't. You can't. You can't divorce your wife. You can't. You know. You just bow. You know. God's going to handcuff you. I don't think when I get to heaven, I'm going to see anybody in handcuffs. Eric, <laughs> you got the will to love God and to serve God. You know. He don't. You don't get the Holy Ghost. Sit. Put a, a nightcap on your head and sit and rock to the rapture. <laughs> Stupid preaching. Eternal security. Hey, what is the fruit of that doctrine anyway? Would it make you have the fear of God or lessen your fear of God? What is the fruit of that? I'll move on. Preaching that miracles have ceased. Preaching that miracles. Did you hear what I said? They're, they call it cessational. Cessationalism. Preaching that miracles. Is, about half of Christianity, I believe, believes that. I'll tell you a story. 
I've told this about six years ago, so about half y'all might, might remember. And when I, I told you before, when I get over 60, I can repeat myself. So I'm sitting in my office one day, and this was our prison ministry in Alexander went from about three prisons to about a dozen in about a five-year window in the 90s. And, and uh, so this guy calls me. He's the chaplain in Cottonport. And he says, I've got an inmate who used to be in a prison, a jail that you minister in. And he says, you'll drive to Cottonport once a week and do a Bible study. He's filed a grievance. He says, there's no Pentecostal services here in Cottonport. It was a 1,500-man prison. And he said, and uh, he said, is that true? He told me the name of the inmate, and I still remember. I'm not going to tell you. And uh, he said, is that true? Would you drive to Cottonport once a week and do a ministry? I said, yeah. And we started talking. And the next thing came out of his mouth, he said, now, I don't allow no tongue talking in this prison. I said, what? He said, I don't allow no tongue talking in this prison. I said, well, let me, let me rephrase my answer. I said, I will come once a week and, and be glad to teach as long as I can teach what's in the Bible. He couldn't go, he couldn't say no. You can, no he, he couldn't disagree with that. So I, we were on common ground then. He said, okay, well, that's fair enough. And so I was busy, 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 and I had plenty of ministry and plenty of other stuff. And I said, Lord, don't, don't make me go to Cottonport. Lord, please don't make me go to Cottonport. And so I, I was praying and hoping that it wasn't the Lord. A month or two goes by, and uh, he calls me up, and he says, I, I got you a meeting set up with the warden. Y'all, come on. Yeah. And so I invited my brother-in-law, Joe, who was, <clears throat> who was a uh, preaching jail ministry with me, and uh, I said, you want to go? He said, yeah. I did not want to go. We left. I left the office on about a 3.30, 4 o'clock uh, during tax season. It was in March, and uh, we drove for an hour to Cottonport, and we got there, and there was the chaplain, and there was the warden. Now, the chaplain... Uh, um, nice guy. <laughs> the warden was much op more open in his religious views. He like, yeah, and I'll let the Muslims this and that. So he was just he was just more open. Uh, the chaplain was he was locked down. <laughs> he was so we sit there, and I thought they wanted to meet us, and we wanted to set up a, a time. You know, I thought that was the purpose of the meeting. So we talk, small talk, and I started. I would say like, well, we can come on Friday nights and at six o'clock. Oh no, you know, we can't do that. Got something going once a month on Friday night, and I say, well, we can come on Tuesday nights. Whatever I would throw out, I threw out about six possibilities, and all of them were slam dunked. No, and uh, so. Um, I could feel my brother-in-law. You ever, uh, the, my wife drinks that instant coffee, and that, she hits that little thing, and that thing starts getting hotter and louder and louder. And louder. I could just feel it coming off Uncle Joe. And all of a sudden, after about the fifth or sixth rejection, and the, and the chaplain and the, and the warden's sitting there being quiet. He's not saying much anything. It's just kind of us three, and he's just sitting over at his desk kind of observing. And uh, Joe said, let me ask you something. And Philip knows what I'm talking about. And he said, uh, it, it, he's, looking at the, he's looking at the chaplain. He said, you believe in miracles? And he said, well, I believe in the Bible. He said, I ain't talking about it in the Bible. Now, Joe had just seen about six or seven miracles in the last month, you know, supernatural, uh, confirmed healings of cancer, you know. So he was, on a, he was on a miracle quest at that point in his ministry. And so God's timing is always perfect. And so... The warden could tell that things were not real good. 
the dynamics. And uh, so he says, now you've talked. He pointed at me. And he said, y'all have talked and you've talked. He even told it chapel. He said, now I'm going to talk. He said, the first thing I got to say, he looked at me. He said, I don't have to let you in my prison. And I said, well, sir, I said, if God wants me in here, you can't stop me from coming. I said, I don't want to be in here either. <laughs> so so he, uh, he says, now, uh, uh, what would you have to do if we let you come in? What would, if, if we said you can't do it, then you wouldn't come. I said, we'd have to be able to baptize. He said, we ain't never baptized anybody in this prison. We don't have a baptism. I said, I bring one. He said, uh, what else? I said, we'd have to be able to lay hands on people. Touching an inmate? I said, yeah, that's biblical. I, and each one was a, was a mini Bible study. I would tell him why I had to have people baptize. I tell him why I had to have people lay hands. And I said, we'd have to be able to clap our hands and worship. He, what? So we got about four or five little mini Bible studies, and we said our dues, and we left. And I said, Lord, I don't want to go to Cottonport every week. <laughs> I didn't hear anything for six months. And you know how God works. So about six months later, a guy who was on my Bible study worked for uh, a car dealership that had a body shop, and he was the assistant foreman. And would you know the warden came up in there, his daughter had a wreck, and brought his daughter's car. And Jeff Johnson, who is in Pennsylvania now, a dear friend of mine, stay, we stay in contact. And those two are meeting, and so uh Jeff had heard some of this at some of our meetings and, and about Uncle Joe, about us going. And he, so he starts, as he finds out he's the warden, and they start talking. And, and uh, he said, well, yeah, I heard Bruce Melder went down there and that he was thinking about doing a ministry, but that was some time back. Did that ever develop? And No, no. And Jeff said, well, why not? I said, well, uh, we did an investigation on that guy. And uh, when he goes up in them prisons with them women, he rubs on them women inmates. Jeff said, what? He said, you talking about Brother Bruce? <laughs> he said, his wife goes with him when he goes. <laughs> so anyway, I'm telling you, the preachers can lie, man. The ministers, can, they're rebellious. They can lie. Now, I'm not talking about our pastor. Now, don't go back and tell pastor that. <laughs> and so Jeff said, I'll tell you what. I had set Jeff up in the Marksville prison, which was about 20 minutes from Cottonport. He said, come Sunday morning at 8 o'clock and see what our service is like to the, to, the, to the warden. So about two weeks later, the warden shows up in, in Marksville, and he sits through an apostolic Pentecost. He doesn't sit. He walks across the back of the room rubbing the chill bumps off of him because the power of God was so strong in that service. And so <clears throat> the the you, you can see what's developing here. The chaplain is trying to keep us out of there because he don't let no tongue talking happen in his prison. And the, and the warden, he's just catching bad information from his right-hand man, the chaplain. And we're just here trying not to go, you know. And, but God has decided that we're going, okay. And so uh, it was just a couple weeks later, I get a phone call. It's the chaplain. He sounded depressed. He said, when can you come? What day of the week can you come? And so we set up a time, and I want you to know this. The first time we went, they loaded up a room about this size. There was 120 men, approximately, and we baptized. And, and the chaplain had to stay and work late because I was there, and he handed me the towels as we baptized 24 men. And we did prison ministry in there. For, but 
but you see how the you see how the rebellion fight against the truth, fight against the truth, fight against the truth, and um, okay, so I'll move on. It's, it's eight minutes till eight. Preaching that baptism is not essential. Have you ever run into any of those folks, ministers that? Ah, oh, you can do it if you want to, or you know it doesn't matter, and you can get sprinkled. It doesn't. It, you know. So they're not reading the same Bible I'm reading. They're not preaching truth. That's a that's a tough issue. You don't back down on it because it's a tough issue. If if you speak, you must be baptized, and somebody shoots you, and you go to heaven. You better off than than preaching a lie. We'll show you that in a minute. And I was teaching a Bible study one time to Tony, and Tony saw, he was an Episcopalian, and he saw he needed to be baptized by immersion in Jesus' name. And so he comes and he gets baptized. He doesn't tell his wife. Okay? So about two months, he starts coming to our services on Wednesday night. He sits on the front row, and my son sits on the front row. So Tony wanted to sit by somebody new, and Philip was only there. Philip was about eight or nine years old, and he always sat on the front. So Tony's sitting on the front row. And so a, a couple months go by, and his wife goes to a, a Baptist worship service, and they start clapping and lifting their hands. And she says to Tony, she said, I want to go to a church that does that. And Tony says, well, I, I might know a one. <laughs> but he was, he was scared. You ever been scared? So what he did was he devised a plan. He went to the bookstore and he got a video, but he didn't want to get just any video. He wanted to get a video he had seen or a message he had seen because he didn't want anything to be too wild. You know, you got to protect. And so he got one and he, he said, well, here's a local church maybe that does what you're talking about, clapping their hands and, and lifting their hands. And said, so let's watch this video, and if you like it, we might go try that church. And so... They're sitting there, and I guess they're eating their popcorn. They're watching Brother Anthony Mangan preach, and, and the, the camera swings around on the video, and his wife looks at him and says, back that up. There's this little kid sitting there, and who's that guy beside him? And it was Tony, and he was busted. If they're preaching prosperity stay away if they're preaching you don't need to repent or they're silence about repentance stay away there's nothing on tv that i know of that's preaching repentance i mean i know billy graham used to hit it well, pretty good but eternal security if, they, if that's their message you better stay away uh, miracles have ceased leave them alone uh, no, no essential baptism, stay away from them and then the last one this is really kind of taking roots here the last few years Preaching, believe only. Anything you do is a work. Anything you do, obedience, baptism, repentance, anything you do other than believe between your right ear and left ear is works. And, and you can't add anything to what Jesus did at the cross, even though the Scripture says save yourself from this untoward generation. You, you know, there is, there is a movement among, among evangelicals to preach, just believe. And they say, they got this little saying, I forget what it is. Uh, faith only and Jesus only and something only. Say it real loud, Philip. Faith, grace, by grace alone, through faith alone. And there's about three alones. Leave them alone. <laughs> Stay away from them. 
I'm not, I don't believe you can earn your way to salvation or you can be saved by your works. Don't, don't get me wrong. But I believe I partner with God, and i got to hear the voice of God, be led by the Spirit of God. If I, if I reject the Spirit of God, I'm going to end up where some of these guys going through what, some of they, what they went through. Um, maybe ministers are refusing to preach the truth because, like King David, they fear the response of the people instead of God. John the Baptist preached truth, and they beheaded him. Jesus preached truth, and they crucified him. The disciples preached truth, and all but one of them were martyred for the truth. The other one was put in a pot of boiling oil. John, uh, the revelator, when he didn't die, they put him out on the Isle of Patmos, which is where they put the deformed people and the people that uh, were criminals and couldn't add anything to society. And there he wrote the book of Revelation. So if you think that preaching truth is going to make you popular with the people, you, I'm here to refute that theory. Maybe the ministers don't preach uh, because they love money. Love money is the root of all evil. I'm just throwing some possibility. Maybe they're just ignorant. Jeremiah says this. Jeremiah 23, and I'm, I'm coming into a land in here. Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. Ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. Ezekiel 3, 17, and I'll close with this. Uh, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word of my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, you don't, you don't tell him he's going to die, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked ways to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will be required at thine hand. If Yet if thou warn the wicked man, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked ways, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou shalt be delivered. So the preacher has a responsibility to God Almighty to be a vessel, to be a, a pipe to flow through, that that truth can flow like a river. Uh, we're, to, we're to sow good seed. We're to uh, walk in the light as he is in the light. We're to be holy and godly people. We're, we're born again people. We're, we're the light of the world. We can't get here in 2023 and start believing a lie his Lord says, I'll let you be damned if you're going to not fall in love with the truth. We need to fall in love with the truth all over again. Maybe this is just for me. We need to make sure. We need to guard our salvation. We need to, uh, what did Jesus tell uh, the, the, the church at Ephesus in Ro, uh, Revelation chapter 2? Your first love. You've left your first love. We need to check ourselves and make sure that we're not in rebellion. It's just a, it could be just a little bitty seed, and it can grow into a big old tree, that rebellion. And you can see it in somebody else, Sister Ellen. You can see it in Sister Ellen. But you may not be able to see it in yourself. But the Bible tells us to examine ourselves. Tansy, Larry, examine yourself. Paul, Joe, examine yourself to make sure you're where you need to be because this is serious business. Uh, we're not playing church. We want to be saved. We want to be ready. we got to have our... Are, are all in our vessels. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. Pray, God, that you would bless these people. These are your people. 
They're your children. You love them. I know you do. I thank you for your love. You demonstrated that love by giving us your word and by dying on the cross. Greater love hath no man than he that would lay down his life for a friend. Now, I pray your blessings. I pray, God, that anything I said that was incorrect or wrong, that you would erase it from their memory banks and even from the tape. And I claim it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. Thank you for coming to church. It is 759.